It is the fourth Sunday of Advent, so we will light our fourth Advent candle. The prophet Isaiah declares, a young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The risen Christ declares, I am with you always to the end of the age. We light this candle as a sign of God's presence in Christ, now and always, that we may trust that God is with us and live in the light of Christ's coming. Risen Christ, light of the world, shine in our lives and shine among us now. Amen? All right. We're going to be in the book of Ruth, chapter 4 today, but before we get there, i uh, share with you about a a few Christmas parties. So on Friday evening, my wife and I with our kids are having dinner about 5.30, and uh, the electricity goes out. And you need to know that we were planning to have the entire youth group over to our house for their Christmas party. And so Jenna looks at me and she says, should we cancel? And I said, no way. This is going to be great. And, and then we realized within a couple of minutes that the electricity had gone out in the entire neighborhood, over 300 houses, electricity out. And just a couple of blocks away is where the Magda Bays live, and they were hosting the children's Christmas party. <laughs> and their electricity was out. And so uh, here's some pictures of the Christmas party. <laughs> All right, there's one more. <laughs> that was Josette's idea. I owe it all to her. <laughs> well, we, we found uh, a flash on our phones, and so here's the kids' Christmas party, lights out, and here's the youth group party. Uh, both parties did a white elephant gift, and uh, at one point, you know, there were like 20 teenagers, so my wife was over at the Magda Bays with the kids, and I was at our place uh, with the teenagers, and at one point, um, I realized, during the white elephant gift, I realized... Brian's left the room, and the two other youth volunteers have left the room, and like I'm in this room alone with 20 teenagers. I'm like, seriously, Brian? You, just, you left me alone with 20 teenagers. But there they are. It was a blast. And then one more Christmas party. A big, huge thank you uh, to all of you who provided gifts for Christmas in the Canyon. Phil and Mindy Steiner are in Mexico right now. Or actually, I think they got back late last night, and uh, they gave your gifts to the folks in the canyon, and uh, Phil reports that it was a fabulous, fabulous Christmas party, so a big, big thank you to you for providing those gifts for the folks uh, at the dump in Tijuana in the canyon, and uh, we'll have Phil give an update about that experience as well uh, when they get back. So turn with me, if you would, to Ruth chapter 4. We're going to finish Ruth today. We left off in Ruth the middle of chapter 4. So, little recap. Uh, Ruth is a Moabite. She's a foreigner. Uh, she doesn't belong. She's not a part of the community. She returns from Moab with her mother-in-law, Naomi, to Bethlehem in Judah. And uh, Naomi says, I went away full, but God has brought me back empty. She's depressed. She's grieving. She's lost her husband. She's lost her two sons. Ruth has lost her husband. And so these two widows come back together to Bethlehem, and they're desolate. Uh, They need help. 
And so we see this man, Boaz, step forward and provide help, allowing Ruth to glean in excess all she needs for herself and Naomi, leading to a point where we learn that Boaz is one of the kinsmen redeemers. He has the right to redeem uh, Naomi's husband's land, Elimelech's land, and uh, he wants to redeem Ruth as well. He wants to marry her. And so we see this conversation transpire between Ruth uh, and Boaz, and then Boaz goes to the town gate because there is what is called a nearer kinsman. There's someone who is more closely related to Elimelech than Boaz, who has the first rights of redemption. Uh, through a series of conversations where Boaz puts uh, uh, to uh, the other uh, redeemer, which we learned last week, he's called so-and-so. Uh, no one remembers who he is. He's referred to in the text as so-and-so. Uh, and so so-and-so says, I'm not going to redeem it. If Ruth is part of the package, I'm not going to redeem it. I could put my entire estate at risk. You go ahead and redeem it. And so Boaz says, I will. I will redeem the land, and I'm going to marry Ruth. Verse 7 of chapter 4. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. So he takes the sandal off. Uh, I'm aware of, in the Bamarin community, I'm aware of two real estate lawyers and two real estate agents. Uh, I'm sure they regularly remove their sandal when they're doing transactions. Uh, right, Alex? You regularly remove your sandal, so does Doug, yeah? Sandal. Uh, it's an odd practice, isn't it? But this is what they did in the ancient world, this symbol of this transference of property. And here, in this case, Boaz redeeming something, this kinsman redeemer. And it, it made me think, we all have a sandal story, don't we? We, we all have a story of someone doing something out of what we've been talking about this entire series through the book of Ruth, this hesed. The, the, term, the Hebrew word hesed is used over and over and over again in the book of Ruth. It's this loyalty, this covenant faithfulness, this loving kindness of God, that God is a God of hesed. He is a redeemer and God's has said flows through others to act as a redemptive agent on behalf of others. The story of Ruth reveals to us over and over again how God uses people to accomplish his purposes. That God's redemption flows through his people to others to accomplish his purposes. We all have a sandal story, don't we? We all have stories of God's redemption in our life or how God used someone else in our life to bring about a redemptive moment or to redeem a relationship or to redeem a circumstance. God uses people to be the holder of sandals so we can experience redemption. And we all have sandal stories on the other side, don't we? Where 
We all have been the one to take the sandal on behalf of someone else, to act on behalf of someone else, to be God's redemptive agent. This is the beauty of God's said and how it flows through God's people to others. And in this case, it is Boaz. And he says in verse 9, he announces to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malone. I have also acquired Ruth, the Moabite, Malone's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. So this has become a community affair. This isn't just an individual transaction. This is a community event, and Boaz announces to the entire community, you are witnesses of this moment, that I've redeemed this land, I've redeemed this woman, and in essence has also redeemed Naomi in providing for and taking care of Naomi. And so verse 11, the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. And so they, this community of people who first viewed Ruth as an outsider, as a foreigner, as someone who does not belong, they have moved from seeing her as someone who does not belong to fully inviting her into the community. She belongs, and they recognize that. This foreigner, they liken to Leah and Rachel. This is huge, that they would welcome this foreigner, this Moabite, into the community in this way, and they pronounce this blessing on Boaz and on Ruth. And may you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. And so Bethlehem is this tiny, tiny town. But when we hear Bethlehem, something rings in us. Something important happened in Bethlehem, didn't it? I think something important happened in Bethlehem. And this is where Boaz is from. This is where Ruth comes to live. It is where we will discover that uh, through the line of Ruth, the greatest king Israel ever saw, David, was born. And there was a prediction sometime after the time of David about another baby being born. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And so the prophet Micah predicts a time when there will be a baby born in Bethlehem, just like Ruth's baby was born in Bethlehem, just like 
David was born in Bethlehem, that a baby is going to be born in Bethlehem, and he's going to be great, and he will provide security. That, that this is one we can trust to provide security for us, that we'll be safe, that we'll be okay in the midst of a world of violence, in the midst of a world of uncertainty, in the midst of a world that we just don't know what could happen next. There is one who provides peace, who provides security, who provides hope. Uh, back in 2009, at the height of the financial crisis, uh, at the height of the recession, my brother worked for a, a camp in Michigan. And it, it's a huge camp. It's kind of like the size of Mount Hermon, only in a small town in Michigan. And for about a year or two, he had been uh, growing anxious about working there and, and decided to leave, but he wasn't sure what he was going to do, and then he discovered what he wanted to do. He found this organization called World Orphans uh, that partners with churches in the third world to care for the orphans and provide homes for orphans in their communities. And this uh, really grabbed my brother's heart, and he decided, I, I want to work for this organization. As he learned more about them, went on a trip with them, and decided he wanted to work for them, they said, well, here's the catch. All of our employees, they raise their salaries. So you have to raise your salary. And our experience of our employees is that uh, it takes a year to get to 80%. That's during a normal economy. We're in a down economy. So you should not expect, and by the way, we do not allow you to come on staff until you've reached 80%. So you, you should uh, think about 18 months before you're able to come on staff. My brother submitted his resignation to the camp, and he was at 80% within six months. The organization was blown away. But my brother had such trust that this was what God had called him to at this season that he did this. He quit the camp. He was at 80% within six months, and he's still working for World Orphans today. Uh, God provided security. God provided for him as he knew this was what God had called him to. Uh, I recognize that this is not what security always looks like, and that things don't always go so smoothly. My brother's kind of like a golden child, so it's like everything he touches turns to gold. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> I'm not jealous. Uh, my, my wife and I give monthly to my brother. Uh, and so um, all that to say God doesn't always work that way. Uh, and here's an example. Um, so last week, uh, my wife and I decided uh, to increase our December giving to Bay Marin to give extra with the year-end giving. And so I, I gave, give this check to Elsie uh, last week. And then two days later, our refrigerator stops working. And so we're like, oh, I can't be serious. So we call a repairman. Uh, and he said, you need a new refrigerator. That'll be $100. Oh, so we just paid this guy $100 to tell us we need a new refrigerator. Uh, and so it's like, Shouldn't God reward us for giving more, not punish? Oh, I get it, God. You love my brother more. <laughs> I see how it works. 
the, the point, God provides. And God is a God who offers security and peace and hope in the midst of uncertainty. And this is exactly what he does for Ruth and Naomi in Ruth chapter 4. Verse 12, through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Now this is interesting that they, they uh, invoke the name of Tamar because Tamar uh, was a foreigner as well. There's lots of similar stories between Tamar and Ruth. Uh, she was married twice. Both husbands died. They were brothers. Uh, Naomi's sons, who were brothers, died. Uh, Tamar's left a widow. According to the law, her father-in-law, Judah, needed to provide her another husband, which would have been Judah's third-born son. But Judah refuses to do this, and he sends Tamar away. And so, long story short, she tricks Judah, dresses up like a prostitute. They sleep together. She gets pregnant. And when Judah discovers that she's pregnant, he sentences her to death. However... She had taken his signet and his cord, uh, and she reveals this to him when he sentences her to death. And he says, she is more in the right than I, and he lets her be. And then she gives birth to Perez, who then is in the line of Boaz. It's just a wild story. I mean, if you, if you think the Bible is full of heroes of the faith... All you have to do is sit down and read just for a couple of minutes and you realize that's not the case, which gives us such hope. I mean, a lot of hope, I think. Verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. And so this story that began with such despair, with such hopelessness, has moved to such redemption and delight. If I can have the next slide. We see the story move from famine to food, Ruth as a widow to a wife, and the, what looks like the end of a lineage to a lineage. And so the redemptive arc in this story is so glorious and so beautiful and gives us such hope of how God is always working behind the scenes. And when we are at our worst, when we are when we are at the bottom, the way Naomi was, that there is a God who is working redemptively despite our circumstances. And they say of this this child, he will renew your life and sustain you. Language that's used of God. It's used of this guardian Redeemer. Notice that uh, the guardian redeemer has shifted here to the baby that's been born. Verse 16, Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father 
of Jesse, the father of David. And so we see Ruth, this Moabitess, this foreigner, this outsider, come into the community of Israel. Mary Boaz, and she becomes the great-grandmother of the greatest king that Israel ever saw, King David. What would have happened if there was no Ruth? What would have happened if Ruth had decided to stay in Moab? What would have happened if Boaz had decided not to marry Ruth? God uses people to accomplish his redemptive purposes. And in this story, we see people move into God's redemptive purposes for their lives in order to accomplish God's purposes in the world. All they had to do was say yes and move into those redemptive purposes. What if Ruth had said no? What if Boaz had said no? What if we say no to God's nudge in the direction of God's redemptive purposes? Because Ruth, who looked like she didn't belong, who was on the outside, comes to, the entire community comes to realize she belongs. Everyone belongs, and God uses everyone to accomplish his redemptive purposes. Are you living in to those redemptive purposes? Because what what if there's no you? We need you. We need each one of you to live into God's redemptive ark, this beautiful redemptive story that God is writing. Because this beautiful redemptive story did not end with Ruth. It didn't end with the birth of David. It kept moving forward. And we have this genealogy at the end of the book of Ruth. It says, this is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Abinadab, Abinadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, not to be confused with Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew opens his gospel with this lengthy genealogy. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to read the first section of it. He starts in verse 2. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Abinadab, Abinadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Solomon, Solomon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. That's interesting. Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was... Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And so Matthew opens his gospel, tracing this lineage from Abraham down to King David. 
but he doesn't stop there. He keeps going, and I'm just going to read the end of the lineage in verse 16. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. The story we've been reading, that we've been discussing the last several weeks about this woman, this foreigner, this outsider, Ruth, we discover not only is she the great-grandmother of King David, she is the great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother of Jesus, the Messiah. And each one of these people in this lineage have stories. And a lot of them are really messed up stories. And what this shows me is that God not only uses our choices when they are good to bring about his redemptive purposes, but he will also redeem our bad choices to ultimately bring about his redemptive purposes. That God is a God of redemption. God is a God of hesed. And so many of the people in this lineage messed up in big ways and in other ways lived in to God's hesed. And I want us this morning to just contemplate for a moment God's hesed in our lives. Where have you seen God's loving kindness in your life over this past year? Where have you seen God's redemption in your life over this past year? In what ways have you seen God's presence to you that is redemptive and filled with loving kindness? As we continue in Matthew down in verse 21, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. This is the Hesed of God coming among us and saving us, redeeming us from our sins, redeeming us from all our brokenness, from all our bentness, from all our churning away from God. This Jesus, out of Hesed, comes as our kinsman redeemer, as the one who redeems us from everything and restores us to the people we're called to be, restores us to God. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. God with us. This, this is Hesed. Uh, Jenna and I were talking about the refrigerator, you know, looking online at all these different refrigerators, uh, looking at reviews, uh, what should we buy, and, uh, and talking about budget and price. And, and uh, our oldest daughter, Zoya, says, well, you can just get the refrigerator for us for Christmas. And I'm like, I didn't teach her that guy. I don't think I taught her that. Like, there, there's something 
really deep and special within her that said that. So said, it's, it's God's loving kindness and loyalty and faithfulness coming through her. Uh, where have you seen God's has said this year? I'm going to pray and the band's going to come up, but this is the Hebrew word for hesed on these two boards. And that, there's markers here, and you don't have to wait in a line, just crawl over top of people. Uh, I wonder if there's a word or a phrase or a symbol or a name. Uh, just write it or draw it on the board. Uh, where this year? Have you seen the said of God in your life? God, thank you. Thank you for your said. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you are a God of redemption. That you, you take uh, our lives that are broken and you, you use them. You bring about your redemption through us, your people. And we're grateful. We're grateful for a season to remember the birth of a baby that changed everything. This story of Ruth that took place in this small town in Bethlehem, this King David who was born in this small town of Bethlehem, ultimately leading to the birth of your son the one who came to rescue and redeem all that has gone awry. We thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his birth. Thank you for the cry of a baby in this moment. In the name of Jesus, amen. go this morning, may you know the hesed of God in your life, filling you to overflowing, and may it flow through you to everyone you encounter. Grace and peace of Jesus be yours. Amen. Amen.